It's time to talk about Las Vegas with Ira. Each week, Ira David Sternberg talks with the celebrities, entertainers, writers, and personalities who make Las Vegas the most exciting city in the world. And now, here's Ira. In Las Vegas, there are magicians and there are comedians, but it's always fun to see someone who combines both talents. My guest is one of those audience pleasers, award-winning comedy magician Fielding West, who not only performs in Las Vegas and around the world, but also is an instructor and keynote speaker. For everything about Fielding West, go to fieldingwest.com and stagecraft101.com, and you could also reach him by email at fieldingwest at aol.com. And Fielding, welcome back to the show. Well, thank you, and you read that as I wrote it. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> what a brilliant writer. I, I wrote that. <laughs> oh, you did. I see. Okay. okay. Well, I also made the paper disappear, so I, I guess I learned that from you as well. Yes, you did. I was uh, thinking about the last time you were on was about two or three years ago, and since then you have avoided arrest, and you are still with us. I'm still with you in spite of the fact that I got pneumonia earlier this year. And that really took its toll on me. But uh, with this isolation and lots of antibiotics, I got well. And I'm, you know, as you know, I've been traveling with the Lance Burton and Friends show, Lance Burton, famous Lance Burton, who's come out of retirement, taking his friends. Keith West, who's no relation to me, does illusions. Michael Goudeau, the famous juggler that was with Lance for 25, 30 years in his, in his various shows, and myself. And we travel with three three dancers and some assistants. And of course, this year, everything got shut down because of COVID-19. But the good news is I, we had 20-something dates shut down, but we found out yesterday that all those dates are being re-offered up at the same time that we were going to do them this year. Because we, we feel that after March of this coming year, we will have enough vaccine so that we can protect ourselves and our audiences and we can go back to work. And Ira, I just want to say this. You know I'm in my 70s. Now, not a lot of acts will admit that sort of thing. You're right. I don't want You're people right. to actually know that. But I am, and at my age, I did not expect to be walking around with a bird on the end of my finger for the rest, <laughs> for the rest of my life. But thank you, Lance Burt, for giving me the opportunity to come out and be part of a much larger ensemble and just surrounded by nothing but super talented people. So I've, I've been... Very blessed. No, that's great. And now that we've finished the infomercial, can I get into my actual program with you? I just wanted to make sure I got my two cents in before you put your nickel in. Okay, fair <laughs> enough. I like the way, and I will critique that, what you just did. You said the famous Lance Burton as if people didn't know that Lance Burton was famous. Well, I, I never assume that anyone knows anything. I mean, this is a, you assume that I would put a contact number on my website. <laughs> I'm the only guy that has a website with no contact number. So for the people that are listening, this is the reason Iris had to give you every possible way to get in touch with me. Yes, and when we finish the show, I will also be giving you his address and <laughs> post office box right, where, you, you, where you can meet him for a, a conference. <laughs> there you go. So you, you alluded to it in your discussion about Lance Burton and Friends, and that is the larger issue, will magic survive and prosper in Las Vegas, do you, from your point of view? From my point of view, it, I think it's all based on a vaccine. I mean, we find every time we get together in either bars or in gambling situations or sporting events that 
the spiking of the uh, coronavirus goes back up. I mean, we just, it, it's just a, and then, and then our governor says, okay, can, it, can we just stay home for two weeks so we can watch this spike go back down? Can we, can we just get a grip on this? Can you just wash your hands? Can you just wear a mask? And, you know, and those are the, those are the quick, simple things to do. But I think we're all looking forward to that vaccine because once we get that, yeah, there'll be magic shows, there'll be singing shows. Uh, we can actually go to a lounge and listen to a singer singing directly to us as opposed to standing on the other side of a giant sneeze guard, basically is what it is. It's just a big piece of plastic that they have to stand behind. Right. You know, the little boxes they put the drummers in years ago? Exactly, <laughs> yes. Restrict the drummers, okay, go to your box. Right. Well, they do the same thing to singers now in lounges. Yes, and well, they just, keep them safe, sure. And you're only allowed to put, what, 25% of what the room will hold. So is, is this a career opportunity for the masked magician again, since that mask will protect him? I don't, I don't know. Yeah, that's a very interesting question. I'll be real honest with you. I have, I've known him for years, but uh, he left town a couple of years ago, and uh, I understand his health wasn't very good. So I don't even know if he's still with us. Ah, okay. But, well, we'll find out at some point, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. there'll be a phone call here in a minute. So what's but, great is that people listen to the show from all around the world because of the nature of technology these days, and your name comes up all the time, not only on police scanners, but really <laughs> in the list of magicians who are, as I mentioned, award-winning, and you've won many awards over the years. The fact that you're very comfortable mentioning that you're 70 plus and that you're still working, I think that's great. A lot of, as you say, most performers, let alone magicians, won't acknowledge their age. Well, I'm in better shape. You know, you know my exercise program. I walk every day and on a kind of a restricted diet, which includes no alcohol, you know, no, no smoking, no drinking, no, no nothing. And when I say smoking, there's no, you know, we live in the state of a person can walk into a store and order marijuana. I don't even do that. I'm, I've gotten to be pretty dull in my, <laughs> old, in my older age. But I just decided that I'm in the third reel of my movie. This is the way I look at my life. This makes me feel better than going, oh, I'm going to be dead in a few years. I try to say it in such a way that I can look forward to it. And I always tell people I'm in the third reel of my life, and, and before they roll credits on Fielding West... I want to live and I want to contribute as much as I possibly can. All the things I didn't take time to think about. You know, it takes a wiser man to come up with the things that he wants to leave, the, the, the carbon print that he wants to leave on society and on this particular world that we live in. And my thing is, is the course, is teaching people how to be better communicators. And I think better communication skills will possibly, uh, you know, this couldn't come at a better time with all the disagreements and the politics and friends against friends and families against families. I mean, we're in a very divided point in our history right now. And I think communication skills on both, and I don't want to say both sides, but with all people, be it if you're a senior or if you're just getting started and you're a student, there's always room to learn how to communicate better. And it gives you a sense of calm and it gives you a sense of confidence that will I think, improve all of our standings. Well, you're a triple threat performer because you are performing magic professionally still, and you are instructing in magic on a one-on-one basis with people. And now you're also, and you're a keynote speaker, and also now with Stagecraft 101, you're talking about communication skills. So there's really a lot going on. I wanted to correct one thing, though, that you said. You said you wanted to leave a carbon print. However, we're supposed to be carbon neutral, so I think you've just disappeared. (laughs) Yes, I did. (laughs) 
that's the old thing. I don't dust because they, from ashes to ashes, dust to dust. I looked under my bed the other day, and I couldn't tell if the guy was coming or going. <laughs> <laughs> well, your background is, is as I we've talked about your background before. You you were selling cars. You were going to graduate school at night in Tallahassee, I got, Florida, I got an undergraduate right? Undergraduate degree in psychology, and a lot of good that did me. Well, don't you think that helps in the world of magic, having a psychology degree and knowing the psychology of people and how to misdirect, so to speak? I think that in theory, what you just said is exactly accurate. But as we all know, four years in college for an undergraduate degree in psychology pales to what one learns actually standing on a stage, communicating and entertaining to a live audience once, twice, three times a night for the last 35 or 40 years. So that, that education right there is something that can't be, can't be bought. You can't go to class and learn it. What we try to teach and what, what I am teaching right now in communication skills is the proper way to maneuver your way around a stage so that you don't lose an audience. And what, I'm, what I mean by that is by not looking and acting professional on stage, an audience recognizes this. They either say it to themselves or they just sense it and that's when you start to lose your ability to communicate with them because, number one, they don't want to hear from you. You're an amateur. You move like an amateur. You're fidgeting with things. You're drawing focus to other areas. Maybe they don't like the tone of your voice. Maybe you're not dressed. Maybe you're not groomed. Maybe you're not this. Maybe you're not that. There's all, all kinds of reasons, and it's called first impressions, that people draw when you walk onto a stage. And so my course is designed to show you exactly step-by-step, move-by-move, and breath-by-breath. And I teach the entire course with a metronome because I want the student to have a sense of timing. And the timing is based on the heart rate after the first two minutes on stage. So people anticipate, they call it stage fright, they'll anticipate going out on stage and their heart rate will go up. The perspiration will start. They just have this sense of uh, fear because, number one, nobody has any skills Nobody's been taught to go on stage. You know, Ira, if I took you as a, if I took a young kid and threw him in a swimming pool at a YMCA uh, and he had no swimming skills, didn't even know how to tread water, the kid would be terrified, wouldn't know what to do. Well, this is what happens to 90% of the people that walk on stage. They think all you have to do is walk out there, take the microphone, let the spotlight hit you, and just go. And it's, it's, there's a series of mechanics and procedures that you one has to learn to look professional in that setting. And that's either whether you're a magician, singer, or actor, or whatever it is, when you come out on stage, you're going to follow these ideas and these techniques. Uh, I tell this techniques. to all my students, I said, and to, especially to their parents. I say, you know, your kid may or may not make it in show business. And I said, I'm not going to be discouraging. But chances are every kid that gets a magic set or buys a book on magic or takes magic lessons does not become a professional magician. Okay, it takes, a, it takes a minimum, and Lance Burton and I talk about this quite frequently to the younger magicians, it takes a thousand shows. You have to perform 1,000 shows minimum before you can even consider being a professional. I mean, it's going to take that many times in front of a live audience. And look at all the opportunities that you get. Michael Goudeau said this is the best. He said this is like Groundhog Day. You remember the movie Groundhog Day? Right. In show business is Groundhog Day. You walk out on stage, especially if you're an act. You walk up to the microphone. The lights are the same. The audience may be different, but it's the same procedure. 
you walk out there and and you do exactly the same thing in every show, depending on how much time you've been asked to perform. Uh, it's you have an opportunity. Something may happen. Somebody may say something. Maybe a certain holiday. It might be some some minor factor is going to change, and you're going to get an idea in your head, and you're either going to say or you're going to perform something just a little bit differently, and that gives you the opportunity, as in Groundhog Day, when Bill Murray learned to play the piano. Remember all the different scenes? He be, he he was he was a jerk of a guy, and then he became a nice guy, and then he then he learned how to play the piano. He took advantage of Groundhog Day, and that's what. That's what the 1,000 shows is about. You have to take advantage of what you're learning every single time. And I always used to come back. I'd either take a tape recorder or I'd have a, a, a pad with a pen, and I would write down, I got an idea. Oh, I'm going to use that in, in, in the next show. If you don't write it down, it's gone. That's all, I've, that's all I've ever learned about show business. If you don't write it down, it's gone. So you have to make notes for yourself, and it's a, it's a constant it's a constant learning process. It's similar to when you go to sleep at night and you have this great idea and you think you'll remember it in the morning and you won't, so you have to write it down before you go to sleep. It's the biggest lie I tell myself. I don't need to write this down. I'll remember it later. And you never do. No. No, nobody does. Now, here's the challenge, though, and you make a good point, Fielding, but a thousand shows presumes that a person who is committed to a life in show business, a career in show business can get access to a thousand shows how does that work in other words let alone the lack of venues and currently with the coronavirus even more so but even if there were venues that's a lot of shows to perform and how do you get the opportunity to perform or are you assuming that they're somewhat professional and they're working little clubs and after a thousand shows they then become a proficient shows starts with uh, you're doing birthday if you're a magician you're doing birthday parties for kids a thousand shows starts with you're performing for your school. You're performing for various charitable organizations. A thousand shows begins with every time you walk on stage. So that could be for that could be for the Boy Scouts. That could be for a military group. That could be for a birthday party for children with a clown. I mean, it could be what whatever the venue is. Every time you walk on stage, you just chalk that up as another time that you've performed in front of a live audience. So some people will get lucky after so many. Shows, maybe there are a few hundred in, and word gets out, and people want to hire you. So maybe you're doing two or three shows a day. Maybe you're doing school shows. Maybe you're going around. Maybe you've put together some kind of theme of, of uh, not, you know, I have friends that do the non-bullying shows. They go to elementary schools, and they go to high schools, and their whole pitch with their magic and their message is not to be a bully and how to deal with bullies. So they have found a way to make themselves more attractive to the school system. So if you have a message, you know, you want your kids to be more confident, you want your kids to, whatever the message is that you want to get out to them, don't do drugs, don't be a bully, blah, 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 whatever it is, there are, there are performers now that are putting together shows that deal with those questions. And what it does is it puts them in demand, especially with the school system. So there are guys that do nothing but school shows. And some of those will work their way across the United States from one state to the next, from one city to the next, doing so many shows in that particular city at a particular level of school. So maybe some work elementary schools, some work junior highs, some work high schools, some work junior colleges, some work colleges. There's a whole variety of ways to add up a 1,000 shows. 
So that's what, that's what my point is. Well, let's take a break. The journey of a thousand shows starts with the first step. My guest, award-winning comedy magician Fielding West, not only performs in Las Vegas and around the world, but also is an instructor and keynote speaker. For everything about Fielding West, there are two websites. Go to FieldingWest.com and StagecraftOne.com, and you can reach Fielding at Fielding, that's F-I-E-L-D-I-N-G, FieldingWest at AOL.com. We'll be right back. We'll be back with more Talk About Las Vegas with Ira in just a moment. You are an adventurer, and your adventure awaits right around the corner at the Springs Preserve. Here, everyone can explore hiking and bike trails, participate in hands-on activities and classes, jump on a train ride, wander through a botanical garden, and more. Visit springspreserve.org. Now, let's get back to Talk About Las Vegas with Ira. Welcome back. I'm talking with award-winning comedy magician Fielding West, who not only performs in Las Vegas and around the world, but also is an instructor and keynote speaker. For everything about Fielding West, go to FieldingWest.com as well as StagecraftOne.com, and you can reach Fielding at FieldingWest at AOL.com. Fielding, in the world of magic, when you first started out, what magician had the most impact on you as a, a young man? Well, I think in my era the late 60s and the early 70s, we had a young Canadian magician who was making a big splash all over the world, especially in New York on Broadway, and that was Doug Henning. And so we all looked at Doug Henning. We saw Doug Henning on, uh, on television, and then, then along came another magician who had, had taken a tour, a young guy by the name of David Copperfield. So we had David Copperfield. Then, of course, we always had the older magicians. We had the Blackstones, and, of course, my mentor... Tom Sony, the great Tom Sony or Johnny Thompson and company. There was a lot of people like that when I was coming up. But you got when I look back to the to the early seventies, mid seventies, there were not that many magicians. There was a handful of magicians that were working, that were my age, that had long hair, had a mustache, wore a cape, had a magic cat, looked looked somewhat. You know, uh, we we didn't have any idea what we were doing. We were just trying to get out there and make a splash. And so I learned to do sword swallowing. I learned to do fire eating. I learned to bend spoons like Yuri Geller, which is funny because in, uh, here we are years later, and Geller and I have become friends. And guess where, I, guess where I run into Geller all the time? Where? I run into him at magic conventions because he started off as a magician. So he's pretty much come out of the closet of, that all that stuff that he does, there was no psychic stuff involved at all. It was just all good rich sleight of hand but he pitched it and he sold it and people bought it and he made a lot of money and still does he's a wonderful lecturer and a very nice guy some people still have fault with him because they feel he he stole and you know in the name of whatever but he was a he's a fine performer yeah he's been on the show here the also fielding were you surprised when you finally ended up in las vegas that there was a world of magic in las vegas Oh, I was I was elated. I had no idea when I got here. I, I wasn't even I wasn't even savvy to Siegfried and Roy until after I got here. I knew that there was a Siegfried and Roy. I just didn't know where they worked. I knew that there was a great Tom Sony, but you know he works all over the world. I knew there was a Norm Nielsen. I knew he worked all over the world. There was a Mark Wilson and Nani Darnell. There's a Harry Anderson who you know went from Magic on to Night Court and other sitcoms. And there was just a whole 
room of people that I had no idea, and I don't think the city of Las Vegas realized that it was turning into the magic capital of the world. And I, I, I attribute 99% of that to Siegfried and Roy. They really put it, you know, and their manager, Bernie Human, they really put it on the map. And this is why people eventually, I came in 1980, January 4th of 1980, and I played downtown at the Mint Hotel in an ensemble of dancers and musicians. And so we had a, we had a little miniature review show, and we played on that little stage, and opposite of us was Cedro Garcia, Cedro's Armada. And I did, th- I did three weeks down there. So this was my first break-in to Las Vegas. Of course, the rest of that's kind of history, but I had wonderful opportunities, and I was very ambitious, and I pushed all the time. And, but, you know, t- a year and a half before I got here, I was on the road and doing nightclubs, doing two shows a night, one hypnosis show and one illusion show. Each show was 45 minutes long. So I had already put in my 1,000 shows before I got here. So the timing was good for you. The timing was excellent, and, and I still needed so much work. And all that work, when I look back on it, I wish that there was a fielding west of my years and experience back then to have sat me down and said, okay, these are the communication skills that you're skipping over. You need to be aware of this. When you enter the stage, you do this. When you exit the stage, you do that. This is the way you address an audience. This is the way you pick somebody out of the audience as a volunteer. This is how you handle a heckler. This is the way you deal with a stagehand. This is the way you deal with sound people. This is the way you deal with the stage text. There's, all, there's such an education uh, of all the things that you have to know how to do to be a success. And any one of those things can screw up your career instantly. Whenever I see a stage mom, and I call that's any mother that's backstage screaming at the text, my boy needs this, my boy needs that, or my girl needs this, I, I want somebody. Every time I see that sort of thing, I just kind of cringe because we all know they're going to do the least that they can possibly do for that person because of the way they're being treated. It's just human nature. Right. It's, it's, it's the Ten Commandments. You know, you want to treat people as, as you want to be treated. Exactly. And this is also what I tell... Well, it's not all ten. It's one of the commandments. It's so. one of them. <laughs> I, I believe in at least three of them. Oh, good. So in, 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 good. <laughs> <laughs> and that's one that I believe in. Or it may be the golden rule, which is so... I may be totally mixing my metaphors here. No, it is the golden rule. My grandmother used to say, you, you boys go out there and do everything you know you're... Uh, supposed to do and don't do any of the stuff you know you're not supposed to do. <laughs> that was the way she would talk to us, and I always thought that there was a piece of wisdom in that philosophy. When you arrived in Las Vegas and you started performing, did you have a sense that you would be spending the rest of your career pretty much in Las Vegas? No idea whatsoever. We were on our way to L.A. We wanted to go out, and, and I eventually in 1982, I did make it to L.A. and made it to the Magic Castle. And then I, while I was there, I said, hey, you know, I got a job at the body shop, which is a, which is a strip tease place down on Sunset. And, but it, the job paid $100 a day, and you had to do two shows a night, but each show was 10 minutes long. So that 20 minutes a day is basically what you were handing in. You had to wait between shows, but, you know, that was it. And on $700 back in 1982 a week, you could actually live in L.A. at that time. And so that's what we did, and I also managed to take money and take acting lessons while I was there. So uh, I, then I did some voiceover work for some, for some films, and let's see, what else did I do? But how did you end up, how did you know you would end up and stay in Las Vegas? Well, I, I had a good friend, Lance Burton, and what happened was 
Was that the famous Lance Burton or the not famous Lance Burton? That's the famous Lance Burton. Okay. One and the same. And he had a he had a home, and we would go stay with him. So we, when we weren't on a cruise ship or when we weren't traveling to do a corporate date, or we weren't up in Canada opening for Chubby Checkers from one end of Canada to the other. I mean, I had wonderful opportunities, but I didn't have a home. I didn't have a base. And so instead of renting an apartment that we would have never been at, Lance said, well, just leave your stuff here. You know, I've got a, a big storage area, and you can put your illusions back there. And uh, and we just took what we needed to go on the road. And so that went on back and forth for about three years. And in that process, I wrote quite a bit of material. Lance wrote quite a bit of material, most of the illusions, his famous sword fighting scene that he did in his show that's now in the Chris Angel show. Lance came up with this idea, and, and I was the guy that he used to rehearse it with. So it was, you know, I had, I've lived through some of the most creative times in magic and gotten to be with some of the greatest people that I can think of in our business. How did you know you were going to stay in Las Vegas and be a success here as opposed to being in any other city? I just kept, I just kept coming back. That's basically what happened. I would come back to, to my base and my base was at Lance's house. And then eventually I got into a show at the Aladdin Hotel well, actually, there's several shows, but that was the, my longest contract was two years in a show called Abracadabra. And that's when I realized, you know what, I'm, it doesn't look like I'm leaving. Uh, but also at that time, I started doing a lot of television. So I would travel back and forth to L.A. I would do a sitcom, I'd do Murphy Brown, or I'd do Roseanne, or, or I'd do all those comedy shows, uh, Evening at the Improv and Comedy on the Road with John Biner. And there was a, a whole slew of those shows. That, by the way, helped kill comedy back in the night. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I wound up on a lot of those. So between this, and every time I did one of those, and it aired, you know, my chances of working in a review show, be it topless or whatever, and that's back when we had a lot of topless review shows, uh, it, it increased the odds. It also increased the odds of me working on a ship. And on a ship, you're just doing two shows a week, which was great for the, for the amount of money they paid you. It was wonderful. Last question before we go. How do you see the future of magic in Las Vegas? You know, it's so funny that you should ask this question because I used to say to Lance uh, Burton, by the way, that's the famous Lance Burton. <laughs> I used to say to Lance, I'd, every time a new magic show would come to town, you know, we only had three or four, then we had five or six, and we had seven or eight, and, you know, there was a magic show in every hotel. And I would say to Lance, I said, man, they said, we keep letting these magic shows in town. He says, this is going to kill magic. What do you think? And Lance said, as long as they sell tickets, we will always have magic. He said, that's the whole, that's the whole secret. So as long as people enjoy magic, which they do, it's one of the great diversions. Magic and hypnosis shows. Have you noticed that? Right. Yeah, because these are the two things that are, you know, they both have wonderment in it. And people can go and lose themselves in an hour, hour and a half show, and they can laugh, they can explore the mystery, and, and they can actually get visual and, and great stuff. And I think between the two types of shows, I mean, I, we, and I'm not putting down the Circus Soleil people. I mean, they put on wonderful shows, but, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a formulaed thing. And as opposed to a magic show, your magic shows are close up, they're sit down, there's giant screens, there's illusions. Chris Angel's got a rock and roll band playing in his show with big pyro fire effects and stuff. David Copperfield's got spaceships, UFOs flying around in his room. 
I mean, every single magician, Penn and Teller, look at Penn and Teller change their show every time I see them. So there's so much variety in magic. And I think that's what keeps it fresh, and that's why people keep coming back for it. I think that we'll put butts in seats as soon as we get a vaccine. That's a great way to leave it. My guest has been Fielding West, who not only performs in Las Vegas and around the world, but also is an instructor and keynote speaker. For everything about Fielding West, go to FieldingWest.com and also Stagecraft101.com, and you can contact Fielding at Fielding West, that's F-I-E-L-D-I-N-G, Fielding West at AOL. Dot com Fielding, thanks for being on the show. Ira, as always, thank you so much for having me. See you next time. You've been listening to Talk About Las Vegas with Ira. Each week, Ira David Sternberg talks with the celebrities, entertainers, writers, and personalities who make Las Vegas the most exciting city in the world. Bring us your